cricket is coming and it's time for a bat. We're going to soap some bodies and we'll have a good laugh. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of Get It Whacked, the Macclesfield Cricket Club podcast. Over the coming weeks and months, we intend to go behind the scenes of Max EC and meet some of the players and characters at the club, find out some things about them you never knew or most likely never wanted to know, and above all, hopefully have a few laughs along the way. Macclesfield Cricket Club is grateful for the continued support of our various sponsors. Today's featured sponsor is George Rhodes and Sons. George Rhodes and Sons are a family-owned business and have been trading from the site in Biddulph, North Staffordshire, for over 80 years. They have a wealth of experience in the motor industry. They have now entered their fourth generation of active family management and pride themselves on offering the best possible customer service through their friendly, professional approach whilst offering superb savings and customer experience. Whatever your motoring needs, George Rhodes and Sons can help. They are able to offer over 100 hand-picked pre-owned vehicles for sale to suit all budgets and your motoring needs. Their cars are price-checked every day to ensure the most competitively priced cars available, not just locally, but nationally. Generous part exchange offers. Tailor-made finance packages with low rates available, subject to status. Vehicle delivery service at extra cost. Full workshop facilities staffed by trained technicians. For more information, please visit www.georgeroads.co.uk. Without further ado, I would like to introduce today's guest. This man is a true Macclesfield Cricket Club legend, known to most as The General. He has the enviable distinction of being able to call himself a genuine spin bowler as he actually turns the ball. Instantly recognisable by his distinctive laugh, he delights in tormenting his prey both by the fine arts of flight and guile and his acid wit, no pun intended. He's always happy to put the bunnies in the hutch. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Stephen Whittingham. Witters, how are you? I'm absolutely very well. A rather overly generous uh, introduction there, uh, Milo, but uh, very much appreciated. No, I'm really good, mate, really good. I'm about as happy as Barney with a cricket ball and a hutch full of rabbits. <laughs> I did wonder how long it was going to take uh, to get to, to Barney and, and the hutch, but you know what? <laughs> we're we're going to put that on ice for just a minute, mate. Cool. You're, you're jumping ahead on the, uh, on the, on the old uh, format here, Witters, but it's, it's very good to have you on the podcast, finally. I, I've been talking you up privately. And, and to a few people for uh, for a few weeks about getting you on, and I spoke to you a while ago and said, "Let's get you on the podcast." You you were you were pleasantly keen, but also you know you wanted to point out you felt there's some other people to get on there first. But I've managed to twist your arm and, and drag you on, so um, it's uh, it's really good to have you here. First question I'll have with us: How's the how's the lockdown situation? Family at home? Talk us through it. Uh, it's been a bit bit a bit bit of a strange one. My daughter was doing her A levels this year, so obviously yeah, it's had a major impact on her. Um, she's actually waiting now for the results based on uh, predicted grades and all that kind of stuff. Um, my son's in his penultimate year, so he's also been in lockdown and obviously we're concerned about the impact of loss of teaching potentially on his, his exams um, next year. Um, my wife currently isn't working and I'm currently sort of semi-retired now, so it's been strange. We've all been at home for what a feels like an extended holiday so thankfully the weather's been good and it's just been uh, barbecue after barbecue and uh, red wine 
and uh, and, and beer on a sort of regular basis. So, of, so <laughs> it's been good on one, on one hand, and on the other hand, obviously, it's been a bit worrying. Yes, absolutely. And um, but it's uh, it's nice to hear you're um you know you, you're doing well and, and managing. I, I did actually bump into you the other day, and I have to say you're, you're looking very well as ever. Um, you know, fit, fine young figure of a man. Um, I was uh, down at the nets having a having a net with Crossy, and we finished up and. You appeared with your with your token umbrella, and then the next thing I know, I was about to come out the net. I, I turned round, and you're at the top of your mark, loosening up. You just couldn't resist yourself, um, and you, you put me straight back in the hutch. It has to be said. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. Love a nice walk to the ground on a very regular basis. I always take me me brolly with me because you never know what the weather's going to be. And uh, sure enough, there was a couple of good looking rabbits. I certainly couldn't resist the opportunity to tempt you with a few carrots. <laughs> and tempt me you did although it has to be said it doesn't take much um now you mentioned obviously you, you you're sort of semi-retired now do you, do you want to tell everybody what you're doing when you when you're not playing cricket or indeed putting the bunnies in the hutch yeah sure so for about for about uh, 20 25 years i worked in financial services i was very much uh involved in the compliance stroke legal side of things so it was my job to help organizations understand the rules which apply to them how best to implement uh procedures to meet those rules and then to test or monitor the adherence to those um, sort of going forward. I did that for about 20 years. I finished up last summer, decided I'd had enough, wanted to try something slightly different on a sort of part-time basis. And over the autumn, I was actually doing a little bit of work for a, uh, a learning trust, a school, a primary school. So I found myself doing things like PE lessons and covering for, for teachers, which was, uh, was quite a lot of fun, actually. And I must make mention, um, I mean, this is not a podcast for egg chasers. And, and if, if you're after that, please do give the, the Macclesfield Rugby Club podcast a listen. You'll be uh, not surprised to know that, of course, it's presented by another other than Frankie Barker, surprise, surprise. But um, you, you are, in fact, a, a rugby referee and, and have been for, for quite a number of years, if I'm, if I'm right. Yes, I uh, achieved level two um, certification oh, probably about two or three years ago now. And I sort of re- re- referee mainly on a Saturday for the men's teams, normally at second team level. So I go around the Manchester and Cheshire, uh, Cheshire areas and, uh, you know, enjoy the dark hearts of uh, of refereeing that's uh, that's a very lonely business and there's lots and lots of stories that i could but won't tell about that i've probably got another season in me then i think it's time probably to hand the boots up moving on from egg chasing immediately as i say this is this is a cricket podcast witters my first question that pertains to cricket what would you say your earliest cricketing memories are yeah so i thought about this and and i had a couple of brothers and so we used to always muck about in the back garden like i think a lot of people have already said but i think the one thing which stands out for me was i remember vividly watching the 1981 ashes series with my parents and in particular i remember a couple of the innings that both of them had and particularly the headingly test where willis basically cleaned up the horses for us to to actually win the ashes i didn't really understand it at the time i was only 10 at the time but what i did realize was this game of cricket had so much drama so much excitement to it that i just wanted you know to be to be a part of that um and i was uh, sort of determined to get to get uh, to get involved um as soon or as much as i possibly could i was quite lucky because i was actually educated at a school in stoke-on-trent a school called st joseph's college and that um school was very much into its cricket and its rugby um incidentally i remember turning up as a sort of i think an 11 year old um 
a very arrogant 11-year-old thinking that uh, I was going to be, the, you know, the best player in the team. I was quite quick as a bowler, actually, for my age in those days. I was quite strong as a, as a young man. had a decent hand-to-eye coordination, so I could bat quite well as, uh, as well. Um, so I was convinced I was going to be the best player. Little did I know that actually in my year, there was a young gentleman whose name was Dominic Gerald Cork. This gentleman oh. actually, yeah, later went on to play for England. He, um, I think his finest moment was getting a uh, hat-trick in the in a Lord's Test against the West Indies. So I played alongside Dominic. We used to open the bowling together, and we basically used to put every single side we ever came across away quite, quite easily. And I think it was because of that, when I was around about 13, I felt cricket cricket at school wasn't enough and I joined um, the local club which was Crew Cricket Club and I played there um, until I was around about 18 and I think it was at Crew in particular that I enjoyed um, most of my best cricket. Um, certainly remember growing up with some real characters introducing me to all kinds of things. Uh, bunnies for example that was all learnt um, at Crew drinking games that, that, that kind of stuff. Um, 18, I went to Liverpool University um, and I played cricket there for, for three years. Don't remember too much about the, uh, the games. The season was relatively short, but some good lads, good cricket. Um, then after I graduated, I came back to Crewe for about, um, about four years. And interestingly, in those days, so I was about 18 at this point, I was working in Manchester, I was very much a batsman rather than a bowler. I, we used to play the North Staff, North Staff South Cheshire League, so against teams like Nantwich, um, Leek, Stone, places like that. So pretty, pretty good standard. You know, we always had a uh, paid professional and an overseas player in, in the side with us. So I'd normally go in, in the top four as a batsman, and I, and I pretty much do all right, actually. Um, so I probably th- think of crew as much as my home of cricket as I, as I now do of uh, uh, Macclesfield. Probably probably just give crew the edge, if, if I'm honest. Very, very good. I actually had no idea you, you, you started off at crew. So there we go. And, and I'm sure that, that may come as uh, some news to some people. Are there any any people from crew that you, you're sort of still in touch with or anybody you've come up across against over the years? <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's interesting, actually. One of the guys I used to play with uh, quite regularly, I probably shouldn't, should, oh, I should say his name, his name's Carl Ward, actually. And he's now the chief executive of the City Learning Trust, um, which incidentally was uh, as one of the schools where I was doing that work I was telling you about uh, a few moments ago. So I see a little bit, little bit of Carl. But when we were, if you think about it, when we were sort of 18, 19, 20, young lads, no family, uh, no, you know, no major bills or overheads or anything like that, uh, working plenty of money in the back pocket. We used to, we used to go out every Saturday night. We used to call it uh, fun or nan nights. We'd go out, have an absolute skinful, go down to the local club. And in those days, you know, after one o'clock, you know, you'd see if you could uh, cop off with, uh, you know, a nice local girl. If you didn't, well, you ended up in the curry house, which is why we used to call it fan or nan night. <laughs> now, uh, when, when did you move on to Macclesfield? So I left, I left um, crew when I think it was about 24 
because I was working in Manchester and it just wasn't sustainable to keep driving to uh, Manchester from Crewe. So I ended up at my second club, which was Moston Cricket Club. And Moston actually played in the Greater Manchester um, League. The standard probably was somewhere between Mac 1s and Mac 2s, to be honest. So it's not as good, I don't think, as the Cheshire League, but it, it was pr pretty reasonable. And I was there for about eight years. Um, I think one of my sort of proudest moments, actually, was being appointed to captain their league side uh, for a tour of the Isle of Man. Um, that was somewhere around the sort of 2000 mark. So that was always that, that was that, that was a lot of fun. But in those days, I was very much a now a a, a batsman, again top order batsman, um, but also a very regular bowler. Um, I stopped bowling. Stop bowling pace when I was about 17 because my pace didn't seem to increase and everybody else's did. So I ended up looking like a bit of a trundler around 17, um, which is why I decided to get into the sort of the dark arts of off-spin off -spin bowling. Um, but I bowled off-spin at, uh, at Moston and I bowled it quite successfully. Um, and I had a really, really good time. And I've kept in touch with a lot of the guys that I've played cricket with uh, at Moston. Really great. Um, set of lads and it broke my heart when I eventually had to leave and I'll explain why I did that in, in a moment but looking uh, looking back there was one quick story I must must tell you about which looking back now is quite ridiculous really one of the funniest things I ever saw but I do warn you I've got a perverse sense of humor <laughs> um, we were playing against a side called Mossside Cavaliers. So I played for Moston, uh, Mossside Cavaliers. It was, a, it was a team made up primarily of Caribbean cricketers. You know the type, quick bowlers, very sort of flamboyant um, batsmen. And we were playing a, in Alexander Park in Mossside. And it was a semi-final cup game. And they turned up and they only had 10 players. And um, we batted first. Uh, I think we knocked 200 or something off our, our allotted number of overs. And at, um, at tea, their captain came over and said, look, our 11th man has been stuck at home with a major crisis. He's on his way. That won't be a problem, will it? And we said, no, absolutely no problem. So they're batting and we get them. The game's nicely in the balance and we get them about seven down, I think. And then all of a sudden, this guy strides in and this guy is the biggest guy I've ever seen. He's just like Chris Gale, but with a skinhead. <laughs> I take one look at him, I think, oh, this guy is an absolute ringer. No doubt about it. He goes to the crease, takes his guard. We've got a sort of fast, medium, sort of fast bowler on. He comes steaming in, he bowls it. It's about six inches of full length outside the off stump. This guy gives it the most almighty swing of the bat, gets absolutely nowhere near it. Penny drops in my mind. This guy's just, you know, uh, making the numbers up. He's absolutely got no idea. Not problems of panic, not time to panic. Unfortunately, our bowler didn't quite think like that. Next ball, he comes steaming it in, drops it short bouncer length, rears up really nastily, gets this batsman in all kinds of difficulty, strikes him on the forearm, you hear this almighty yelp, he drops the bat in pain. Next minute, he picks it up and lunges forward at the bowler. The bowler takes one look at the size of this guy, and says, I'm not hanging around here to reason with him, and legs it back to the pavilion. 
And this guy's chasing him with a bat raised above his head, shouting out, I killed! I killed! <laughs> Unbelievable. We're all bent over laughing. Can't believe what we're, what we're, what we're seeing. Um, thankfully, all these players managed to grab him while our, our bowler basically gets in his car and just drives off. So the match, <laughs> the, the match was actually abandoned. Um, and we were actually awarded the game. And I, I remember in particular laughing when the uh, league newsletter came through because they didn't really describe the incident. It just, it just said that uh, Boston had been awarded the game due to unsportsmanlike conduct. <laughs> Now, had you got this uh, this big chap out, would would he have been the biggest bunny you've ever put in the hutch? Yeah, I think he was. He probably had an ability that was equivalent to Burgess. I reckon. <laughs> was he? What was he? Sort of six foot five, six foot six, or was he really, really? Oh, he, no, no, he was really tall, and he and he rippled muscles from top to bottom, which is no wonder why this guy fled. One look at him, man, he he was a monster. <laughs> Right, well, um, a very, very good anecdote, um, and I think you were just going to lead on to, to tell us about, you know, how how you how you left Moston and came to Mac. Of course, so, so I was working in Manchester at the time, and then I actually got a job at the Cheshire Building Society, um, heading up their compliance function. And the Cheshire Building Society, of course, was headquartered in Macclesfield. So um, after I think about a year, a year working here, I decided to buy a house here with uh, with my wife. And we've been in, actually been in the same house um, ever since. And I actually got to know one of the guys at the Billings Society, was a guy called Ollie Ward. And he encouraged me to come and try out for, uh, for Macclesfield. So I agreed to do so. And this was actually in the year 2005. So that was my very first season. And that was actually the season when Parkside and Macclesfield came together for the first time and I know that was the case because I remember when I arrived the uh, whole club was in a sort of very natural state of chaos as people were trying to work out who should best be in, in what team etc so when I first arrived and quite rightly so I was put in the third team um, Gary Foy was the captain and I actually do remember my very first game quite distinctly because it was against Timpley and it was away and I think we bowled first. I think I bowled quite reasonably that day. I think that was about three or four for not too many, so, so that was great. Um, and then they started to uh, shoot us out. Um, I remember going in, I was quite confident uh, I could bat this out, no problem. There was nothing in the bowling to, 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 to be concerned about. And then this guy bowled one, and it must have been a foot outside off stump. And I swear to God, to this day, it hit something. It must have done. And it wasn't the scene. It hit something. Because it came back like a rocket, like an off-break. And I'm shouldering arms, and it just cleans me out. Okay, this is my first game. I get a duck, cleaned out, shouldering arms. And, and the reason I remember it with a smile is after the game in the bar, Steve Horrocks came up to me. And he said, ah, uh, oh, Steve, well, well bowled today. Well bowled, uh, but you can't back, can you? <laughs> Uh, thankfully I was able to prove he was just a little bit slightly wrong over the course of the because of that season um, in in the thirds and actually just on that just on that um, I do remember in 2005 I got my first and my only ton for Macclesfield playing in the thirds actually and interestingly um, that was the day my son was born and I, I can't quite work it out actually looking back but 
my wife gave birth to my son in the early hours of Saturday morning, and somehow I managed to play on that Saturday and get a hundred. Can you believe that? Ridiculous. Well, that uh, that does bring us rather nicely on to to talk about some of your stats here, Witters. But um, you know, as is usual with me and talking about stats and caveats, um, I have to say that your your highest score is not recorded on play cricket, so. There is a there's an immediate um, you know footnote to to the Witter stats, which is that he's just told you his highest score is 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 a ton. What did you get? I can't remember. I know it was it was a hundred and a few, not much more than a hundred. Fine. Well, you've heard it from from the uh, from the rabbit's mouth, but um, we're going to go on and talk about your stats now. So uh, just just include that one for your uh, for yourself in in on top of this. But um, as per play cricket, you have played 223 games with 188 innings, 44 not outs, scoring 3,100 runs. Play cricket says your highest score is 70, but we've just heard you've got 100. And you have 11 50s and uh, 14 ducks, which I think is is pretty respectable, actually, from 188 innings. You, any any comment on that? I would have thought it'd be more than that, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. It's these miserable captains that always insist on you going in uh, late down the innings and getting it whacked. Um, no comment. Well, well, to be honest with you, um, I've enjoyed that over the last number of years. I mean, I think it's been mentioned on the podcast before. There's like it's like three of us. There was myself, DC and Tony in particular. We'd always go in and look to do a job. And, 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 and often that'd be great fun where you're sort of teeing off. Not so great for them when the top order of collapse. You're trying to make a game of it. Um, but looking back, yeah, great form. Just hold on to that thought a second because we're, we're going to come on to talk about a game in a minute that um, is pretty much exactly what you've just discussed. But um, look, we better talk about your bowling. Obviously, you know, you said growing up, you know, and over the years you've, you've considered yourself at times a batsman. And uh, all joking aside, it has to be said you are a very fine batsman. But... I, w- I would like to think in possibly the second half of your career, you know, you've been more focused on your bowling. and Oh, definitely. Yeah. Consider yourself a bowler these days, maybe a bowling all-rounder, who knows? I consider myself more a bowler these days. I was very much a batter when I was uh, was young. Then I became a sort of a, an all-rounder at Moston, but very much a bowler at Macclesfield. Well, let's talk about your bowling stats here, Witters. So, in all, you've bowled 1,545.2 overs. With <laughs> 236 maidens taking 372 wickets with a best bowling of 6 for 8, including 25 wicket hauls, um, a strike rate of 24, and a very, very good average of 15.8. I wouldn't know whether they're good, bad, or indifferent. I don't really don't really take a lot into statistics. I suppose I ought to as I'm approaching the end of my, my sort of career, but uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's all about the next day and it's all about enjoying yourself. So I'm, I'm hoping those statistics are reasonable. Yeah, I, I would say that the two standout things from, from, from there for me are obviously the amount of five wicket hauls you've taken, 20 in, in total, is, is very good going. And that really does show the influence that, you know, you can have on a game. I mean, it's great if you pick up two or three wickets here or, you know, you put a few bunnies back in the hutch at the end of the game. But anytime you take five wickets, you know that you're doing a big job for your team and, and you know, you're influencing the game in a big way. Um, and the other standout thing I would say is that, um, you know, you, you average of 15.8 um, across that many overs and, you know, that many wickets. It's, I think that's um, that shows shows the potency of your uh, of your deliveries. Cool, I'll take that. And um, at this juncture, I must um, press you for comment about the following. I, I did allude to the fact that you are a genuine spin bowler and you do spin it. Um, 
Now, talking about someone at the other end of the spectrum, Mr. Rob Porter, is there anything you'd like to say about his um, non-spinning spin, a.k.a. Speem? Uh, well, I, I don't like to be overly critical of Robbie Porter because I think he's, uh, you know, he's a, a very talented individual. Um, but I think his, his ability to swing it in and turn it away and make it appear to go straight on is quite phenomenal. <laughs> oh, very good. You've, uh, you've given me a politician's answer and I'll, 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 <laughs> I'll take it. Um, the last thing I will say is a little bit of fielding. Um, you know, you, you considered a very safe pair of hands. And certainly in the last few years when, you know, we've been lucky to, to see a bit of you in the third team, which has been, been great. You know, this, the likes of yourself and DC and Tony, um, you've uh, yeah, very safe pair of hands, and you've you've claimed a few off my bowling, which is always pleasing. Um, yeah. But uh, in all, eighty six catches and eight runouts, um, and the last few years you've had seven catches, seven catches last season. In fact, Witters, pleased with that? I would have thought it would be more actually. I, I, I tend to field in the slips, as you know, um, and I tend to grab most of them that come my way. Although, to be honest, the one bowler who I never seem to be able to catch the ball for, and I apologise to him now, is Craig Melrose. When he used to play in the twos, if batsman nicked it, I could not catch it. Everybody else, I was a relatively good and safe pair of hands for, so apologies to Melly if he's listening. Yeah, I mean, it's hard enough to nick him off Melly, especially when he <laughs> played twos cricket, let alone catch them. <laughs> You know, the one thing I would say is often there'll be a lot of catches that aren't accredited. Um, so it's probably quite a few more than that. But um, as I say, in the last few years, you've certainly grabbed onto a few of mine. So uh, many thanks. No problem. Uh, talking about 13 games, and, and I just want to uh, feature a little bit of your batting. And as you alluded to before, um, the, the sort of the old guard, the senior pros coming in and, and doing what's required. And, and this was one such game from last season, actually. Macclesfield third team. Um, playing Timperley third team at home. And I have to say, it's one of the the very, very rare occasions where we played a game on Parkside. And as I always say, we're incredibly lucky and fortunate to have that facility. But we played a game on Parkside um, and the pitch was quite tricky. It would be fair to point out that it had been very wet and we'd had to work quite hard to get the game on um, and, and make sure we did quite a bit of work during the week. But it was a tricky pitch. And Macclesfield sort of found themselves in, in, in a little bit of bother by which um, Ian Kenny and, and Joe Haig opened the batting for us and, and, and did fairly well, actually. They, they both got 20-odd, but unfortunately then both got out. And after that, it was it was a relative procession um, with, with nobody else getting over double figures until yourself coming in to, to do a little bit of a rescue job at number nine and when you came to the crease we would have been 80 or 90 odd you know staring down the barrel of, of, of a pretty under par score even on a tricky pitch but um yeah you came in at number nine you scored 57 and i wish that we had been recording how many balls you faced because i'm pretty confident in saying you you hit 50 off no more than 15 balls. As someone else said on the podcast recently, and I apologise for not being able to remember who it was, you know, you are sort of revered as, as one of the cleanest hitters of a cricket ball still to this day. And and I've not he seen um, hitting like that in, in quite a while. Um, and to say that you did it on a, on a pitch where kind of everybody else had made it look pretty difficult. Yeah, there were some big sixes, some big straight sixes, and, and a couple straight into the trees. So, um, yeah, what, what do you remember about the, that game, if anything? <laughs> well, well, firstly, it was Curly, actually, made those comments on his podcast, which I think were very generous comments. So, big shout-out for Curly. Appreciate that, mate. Um, what I remember about that game was they, they had a, um, a very 
decent spinner actually, who the team seemed to struggle against. He was turning it, uh, and he was in a good rhythm, and he was putting it in the right spot. And I think I, when I strode out there, I, I just got it into my head that the only way, you know, we could potentially put this guy um, off his rhythm is to put him out the ground. Basically, it was shit or bust time, if if I can say that. Apologies for the language. Um, and of course, you know, when you've whacked him for the first time, he, he starts to get a little bit nervous and he changes his approach and he tries different things. Um, but what I found in my career, and I wish I, knew, I wish I knew the answer to this, is for some reason, everything can just click on a particular day. You see the ball earlier, you find the middle of the bat more regularly, you move your feet more nimbly, etc., and everything just goes in your uh, in your favour. And, and that was the case for me on that day. Every time he threw the ball up, I just got it in the middle of the bat, and I love to hit the ball out the ground. Um, what more can you say? I'm not happy with four. I want six every time. That's just the way I've I've always batted. Uh, when it comes off, it's great. Um, unfortunately, the flip side to that is I've been out so many times, so many times over so many years, either caught on the edge or completely missing it or whatever else, just trying to whack it out of the ground. But there's nothing more satisfying, I think, than hitting somebody straight over the head, straight as a die, straight over the side screen for six. There's nothing in cricket as a batsman, in my opinion, is better than that. And that's what I kind of enjoyed doing on that day. I was very lucky. It just came off. It doesn't always come off. It just did on that day. It certainly did. And I, and I do remember sort of having a, a little bit of a prime viewing position for towards the end of, uh, of your innings and getting towards 50 because uh, I was I was sat at the other end uh, knocking a couple of singles and getting you on strike and, and watching you pongo it into the trees or over the sight screen. So. <laughs> I'd forgotten we were batting together actually that day. Yeah. <laughs> A rare occurrence, as you as you can yeah. attest to in, in my uh, cricketing. <laughs> all, all good fun, all good fun, and that's what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. And and so Macclesfield posted 142 all out in 42.3 overs, and in reply, Timperley very pleasingly were bowled out for 76. And I think you picked up a, a couple of wickets towards the end. I think you might have uh, you might have escorted a few rabbits to, in the direction of the hutch. And yeah, you, you, you picked up two wickets and 1.1 over, no no oh, less. Excellent. You cannot be a bit of bonitus extractus. <laughs> now, uh, moving on, I, I thought we'd um, mention um, another one of your sort of standout performances, this time um, playing for the second team and a little while ago, um, and this time it's one of your sort of better bowling performances. So this is a game from the 25th of May 2013, and it's Macclesfield's second team versus Didsbury's second team. Didsbury won the toss and elected to field. Macclesfield posted 222 for six off their 50 overs. Um, Yourself with a little cheeky 13 not out towards the end of the game. (laughs) batting with Mark Knight. Um, so a, a good score, but um, Didsbury always always a good team, always um, always a few good players knocking around and always competitive. In reply, you were first change. You bowled 13 overs, two maidens, um, and took six for 29, um, including, uh, well, you know what? I'm going to let you, you tell us all about this game because uh, your memory is certainly going to be better than mine was because I wasn't there. <laughs> 
So you're quite right. Disbury was always one of the tough games. We had a big rivalry uh, with Disbury over over many years, and thankfully won quite a few games, but equally we lost a few um, as well. I do remember this game. Um, I remember playing, um, particularly I think Barney was in the side that that day as well. Um, I remember having a bit of a chuckle with him. Um, and the reason I remember this game is is sometimes a little bit like batting. When you're bowling, you get into a particular rhythm and everything just clicks into place. Um, you can land the ball exactly where you want. Um, the ball is actually hitting the seam and it's spinning and spinning quite, quite, quite a bit. And the reason I remember this game in particular is because in this game, and for the second time ever in my career, I actually managed to get a hat-trick. Um, and actually, I've got two hat-tricks in my career, and all six bowlers, were bo- six batsmen were bowled. Um, and that actually happened um, uh, in this game. And I, and, I, and I remember actually when I got that, that, that third wicket, uh, that hat-trick, I remember the celebration was absolutely immense uh, because I think I realised at that point this is probably the last hat trick I was ever going to I was ever going to get. I'd waited twenty years since the first one, and I was determined to uh, enjoy it um, as much as I possibly could. And particularly, it was very satisfactory getting it against Didsbury, who was, like I say, always one of those sort of uh, grudge teams that we used to used to play against. So, uh, so yeah, I do remember it. Um, just felt good on the day. The ball came out of the hand really well. Seems to, to, to turn a fair bit, and um, bottom line is there's no answers to it, and uh, it was a great win for us. It certainly was indeed, and and you say that was your second hat trick, and, and the previous one was uh, well a, a few years prior to that. That's right. I think I was sixteen when I got my first hat trick. Switch <laughs> <laughs> twenty years to the next one. Now we're just sort of moving on from uh, you know stats and and a, and a couple of games there. I mean that there, there, look, there are loads of games I could have picked. Um, you know, when you've you've taken twenty fifers, as I say, over, over the years, um, it, it could have been could have been easy to pick any any number of those, I'm sure. But um, that was that was one of your sort of favourites, so it's good to, good to include it. I did want to to move on to to talk about some some very key things here. And uh, as I mentioned in your introduction, you do enjoy putting the bunnies in the hutch. Now, before we get to that, and I'm sure you're desperate to get to that. I'd like to uh, actually ask you about something else you've mentioned and has, has been mentioned on the podcast before, which is, of course, the very fine and excellent game of bunnies. <laughs> right, yes. Uh, so, what, well, what can I say? This is something that I learned um, at, crew, at crew when I was, I think, 14, 14, 15 years old. Um, and I played with, I was a wonderful guy, a guy called Tony Booley. He was uh, a really successful executive for a health company. But he always made the time um, available to you know to spend with the likes of the 16 and 17 year olds in the side. This is the second team at crew, by the way. Um, and he had all these fantastic stories and all these wonderful drinking games. And he introduced me to the game of bunnies. Uh, and it, he was always the chairman. And he used to come up with the most ridiculous uh, penalties that you could uh, you could imagine. And I think actually the worst I ever saw, let me tell you this, I think it was um, it was the final game of the season and it was a big game of bonnets. It must have been 15, 20 of us around these three or four tables pulled together. And it was great fun. And right at the end, we were just about to wrap things up. So it was the final go. Uh, and this poor character, uh, 18-year-old uh, Phil, I can't recall his surname now, made a mistake. 
And Tony Bowley, the chairman, says, right, so the penalty is this. You must drink five fingers of your pint through the boxes of Red Jalice. Now, Red Jalice was like a 60-year-old leg spinner in the second team. So when they pulled him out of his bag, and you can imagine the kind of state they were in, this poor, poor son had to put them over his pint pot and drink five fingers. And then within about two minutes, everybody was laughing their heads off, looking out the window and just throwing up in the bushes. <laughs> oh, dear. Thankfully, <laughs> when I brought when I brought bodies to, uh, to Macclesfield, we've not sort of stooped to those dreadful uh, levels. So we've had uh, quite a lot of fun. I think uh, I think the, the worst thing we've probably done is in, instruct some of our players perhaps to, you know, take a run around the, the field in the dark, um, uh, you know, wearing a little less than is, than is normally expected, much to the amusement of everybody. <laughs> I, I think at this point um it's it's probably good to just talk about you know your your nickname at Macclesfield which is of course the general this is uh, another thing that people like to associate you with it's not only the general but also the chairman as you are indeed the chairman of the bunnies <laughs> well perhaps I should explain where the general came from um, well yeah I was I was rather teeing you up for that one as well because <laughs> it's nothing it's actually nothing to do with bunnies itself the game. Um, but back in 2008, I was actually the captain of the second team in, in that year. And that was a really successful year for us, actually. Probably one of the most successful we've had, I think, because that was the year we did both the um, league and won the cup. We did the, the double that year. Um, one of the things that uh, I was quite insistent on, feeling it slips, was, was, was a little bit of sort of banter, a little bit of sledging to the batsman. And the, the theme for that year was if you said something, it had to have something to do with rabbits. Uh, you know, get him hopping, put him back in the hutch, all that kind of stuff. It had to have something to do with rabbits. And I remember at the end of one game, it was Curly, bless it, Comes up to me and says, "You know, says you're a bully." He says, "You're like General Woundwort at Watership Down." General Wound was that really miserable, horrible old book of a rabbit that gets in the way of all the rabbits wanting to go to the new lands and everything. And from that moment on, um, rather than being called the General Woundwort, I was just called the General. It kind of stuck ever since. <laughs> I, I do want to get on to, to talk about some of those things, especially uh, the fine art of sledging, as we've recently featured Mr. Curly Moores on the podcast. But before we do, I, I'm, I must push you on uh, one of your mates, one of your great mates, and um, and two words. Firstly, the great mate is Mr. Barney Cutbill, and the two words are Rabbitus Maximus. <laughs> I, I, think it's, I think it's very key now for you to tell us about your love of putting the bunnies in the hutch. Where does this all come from? I, th- I mean, to be fair, I think the person who recognised this was, was Eddie Mack. And most people hopefully remember Eddie Mack. Quite an old character. Uh, good batsman, actually, with a sort of dry sense of humour. And he always used to try and take the rise out of Barney, in particular, um, highlighting the fact that he used to love his tail and treats, as he used to describe them. Um, particularly when Barney was captain. In his opinion, Eddie Mack's not mine. He would always say that Barney would always manoeuvre things in such a way as he'd come on when the rabbits were in. <laughs> Perhaps to, you know, to manipulate his fingers. I'm not sure there's that much truth truth in that, but it was always always entertaining to listen to those kind of kind of theories. And I just remember saying, I think, to um, 
to Barney. I said last year, I think the last year or the year before, I just said to him, I said, Barney, I said, you are, uh, you know, you're a gladiator as far as I'm concerned. I think I'm going to call you a rabbitus maximus from now on. She thought it was quite funny and it kind of stuck. And the, uh, the other one I do enjoy is, is Bunnius Extractimus. <laughs> Bunnitus Extractus, yeah. Just a <laughs> similar story. I try and sort of you know, refer to myself in, in, in that respect, i.e. No, as a bowler, nobody likes more, you know, a couple of rabbits uh, trying to uh, keep it out of you don't want batsmen, you know, you want fresh air in front of you and uh, there's no better feeling cleaning them up. <laughs> very, very good indeed. Now, uh, now we've we've covered bunnies in, in their multiple forms. We we do want to talk uh, about a little bit of, uh, you know, the fine art of sledging, mental mental disintegration, uh, you know, verbal warfare with the batsman, which it has to be said, you, you do have uh, somewhat a reputation um, for, uh, for, 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 for one-liners, shall we say, your, your acid wit. <laughs> and uh, I mean, there are hundreds, frankly, hundreds of stories that we could talk about um, from over the years. But um, one chap you've, you've already mentioned, uh, Mr. Andrew Moores. There's a, there's a very good story about, about him and his hairdo. Do, do you want to tell us about this? <laughs> well, let me just make a few comments first uh, about sledging. I mean, I've always taken the, I've always been of the opinion that very aggressive, very personal uh, sledging, there's no room for that in, the, in, in, in this game. Uh, I don't agree. I think it's counterproductive, actually. I've always been of the opinion that if you can say something that actually gets the batsman to laugh, you're more likely to break his concentration and you're more likely, therefore, to be successful in getting him out. So all my repertoire, has always been with the purpose of trying to get the batsman to laugh or people around me to laugh. That's what it's all been all been about. Now, you know, I've got, like I already said, I've got a perverse sense of humour. What I find funny, sometimes people don't. You know, you know that's just the way. Uh, that's just the way that you take it. And actually, to make that point, I really enjoyed last year playing with Sam Bucky. Actually, and let me explain why. This is the first time I played with Sam Bucky last year and he was relatively close to me in the field and he hadn't heard any of all any of my usual one-liners and it was just great to see him giggling you know all day in the slips i remember one uh one-liner in partic particular that almost dropped into his knees uh, this big character came in to open the bat and i forget which side it was and he started to try to tease off, tee off from the first ball, swinging and missing at everything. I was kind of gobsmacked at this from an opener, and I just, I just remember shouting out, you know, what kind of opener is this? I've seen a better tin opener. And the poor old Bucky, he just hit the ground. He couldn't get, he couldn't get back, couldn't get back on. He was laughing so hard. So big, big shout out to him. But to come back to you, um, to your question around um, the hairdo, um, I think this was, and this was, this was Andy Moore's Curly. This is one of the best sledges I think I ever heard. We were playing at Witness, and this guy came out to bat, and he had the the most ridiculous pink fluorescent bat grip you could ever imagine. It looked ridiculous. Anyway, Chris Moore's is bowling, and he's making his way back to his mark. Uh, I'm at slip, and crosses a gully. And Crossy just shouts out casually, Hey, Curly, where do you reckon this guy's got his batting grip from? Chris Morse turns around and starts to run up. Curly's fast as you can imagine, shouts out, 
probably the same place he got his hair cut. <laughs> Next minute, ball hits the edge, straight through the curly. We are all up, shouting, laughing, screaming, everything. And this guy is seething as he walks off. He is steams coming out of his ear. One of the funniest things I think uh, I think I've ever seen. <laughs> Now, I, as I said, I, I could sit here and bring up lots and lots of, of um, famous witters' anecdotes and, and, and key sledges, but I'm sure you must have a few that you, you'd like to talk about. I was thinking about this before the call, actually. The three, I'll go through quickly because I know we're short of time. Three which stand out, which always make me smile when I think back. Um, the, the first one, actually, was at Old Dilly Edge, um, and Eddie Bones was batting, batting absolutely beautifully. Um, smashed it to all parts and I remember it, uh, on this occasion he hit one right in the middle of the bat and it flew right over the ropes and it actually struck the clock on the pavilion uh, and I remember standing up just shouting out that's it I don't keep it ticking and everybody around was just on the knees with that one so that was, that was pretty good and then the two on the field that I probably should just mention um, again, this was against Old Dooley Edge, but this was at home, actually. In the previous game, there was this character who really got stuck into Tony really nastily when he, when he was batting. And we were all determined, you know, next time we played them, you know, to try and even up the odds, really. Didn't know a great deal about him. Um, or, or, or I think all we knew, he had a particular liking for sort of Chinese food. Let's put it like that. Anyway, he comes out to bat. And he hadn't been able to get off the mark. And for some reason, the sledge just came, I was in the sledge, just came to me. And I just shouted out, all right, lads, let's keep it tight. Let's have him for a crispy dog. Okay, <laughs> everybody thought, thought that was rather amusing. And then perhaps, a lot, the, just, perhaps just the last one, uh, just again, just to give you a flavour of this. Uh, playing against Burnage again at Macclesfield. And there were a couple of, uh, I think they were Indian lads actually batting. They were batting very well, to be fair to them. But the annoying thing was they were speaking to each other in a quite a loud way, but in their own language. So they weren't speaking English. So it was very difficult to, to, to hear, hear what they say. Uh, I didn't even know whether they could speak English. So I didn't really know how to sledge them. <laughs> um, anyway. I was uh, I was feeling it at gully and Crossy was was behind the wickets and I, and, and this sledge came in my mind and I just started to shout it out. So I started shouting out stuff like Curly Perm, Curly Perm, Cut and Blow, Cut and Blow, Short Back and Sides, Short Back and Sides. And Crossy shouts, I says, Witters, what the hell are you talking about? I was I'm just uh, just talking Urdu to him. <laughs> <laughs> Just all good fun. Really fun. <laughs> really enjoyed it. Great fun. Did this draw in any any sort of response from them at all? I think it went completely over the head, so that's <laughs> not, su- not surprising. Is this? And it's been, it's been a good laugh in the clubhouse ever since, as we, uh, you know, nostalgically remember this kind of stuff. <laughs> very, very good indeed. Now, uh, Witters, uh, you do have, I have to say, and you're probably going to uh, you're going to disagree with me here, but um, I don't mind. You do have somewhat a reputation for being, frankly, a bit of a tight-fisted git. Um, there are many stories involving yourself and, and, and getting around in or, or not getting around in. But before we get to that, I've, I've got a quote that I'd like to read you 
from the mayor of Titherington himself, Mr. Jim Melrose. <laughs> oh, God. It's pertaining to your tight-fistedness, the quote is as follows. Ask him if he's bought any new clothes since the turn of the millennium. He looks like a 1995 CNA model. <laughs> I could I could sit here and try and defend myself, but I don't think anyone would be for listening. Um, in particular, my friend, uh, Mr. Burgess, who uh, takes it upon himself to try and take the rise out of it every possible opportunity. I'm just not prepared to sort of rise to that. Uh, if people wish to think that I'm tight-fisted, then it is their prerogative to do so. It doesn't bother me one way or the other. One thing I will say, though, categorically, is I'm not a round dodger. If I participate in a round, I will absolutely play my part in getting the drinks in. Uh, but am I tight? Probably on the grand scheme of things, I'd probably say careful rather than, rather than tight. I take after my father. He's a lot worse than me. Well, uh, on that subject, I'd, I'd like to, to, to raise two things with you. First and foremost is, um, you know, obviously we, we have a bit of a history for getting a jug in, you know, if you, if you score some runs or take some wickets. <laughs> and uh, last season... Um, <laughs> You know, you, you managed to take five wickets a, a, a few times for the threes, which is great. Much appreciated. Thank you very much. Well bowled. Can you confirm or deny that you instructed the clubhouse bar to change the size of the jugs so that when you did have to get a jug, it was half the size of the previous one? <laughs> no, I, de I deny that. As far as I was concerned, it was it was half a jug for a five, for a full jug for a, for, for, for a ton. Um, well, let me just take slight issue with the sort of the jug system, uh, just to set the record straight. So when I first started uh, cricket at Crewe, the tradition there was very much that if somebody got uh, 50 or 100 or five wickets or whatever, what would happen is one of the kids would go around the crowd, used to get some quite decent crowds in, go around the crowd with a, with a cap and collect from the, from the crowd, and that would then get the jug in. It was never the tradition that the person that actually performed well had to get his wallet out and pay for all the drinks. So it came as a bit of a shock to me in Bakersfield that uh, that was very much the tradition here. Um, and so it's just, uh, it's probably that more than anything else that has uh, made people think I'm possibly more careful than what I should. Well, you did just uh, give a, a very good um, defence of yourself as not being a round dodger. However, on a couple of uh, different podcasts, you, you have been mentioned. <laughs> with regards to this, and it, it especially involving one incident, um, and you being frog-marched, frankly, to the bar, which I've seen on a number of occasions before you care to deny it, but especially you being frog-marched to the bar in Worcester by Mr. Dave Cowan. Any comment? Yeah, I completely deny it. That's uh, that's one of uh, Burgess's fantasies, and anybody who knows Burge will also know he likes to embellish uh, all stories, whatever anybody has the... Uh, you know, makes the mistake of lending them his, his ear. So, uh, no, absolutely deny that. Absolutely deny that. I, if a round's going, I'll participate in my, in my part uh, part of it. So, yeah, totally and completely denied. <laughs> Very good indeed. Well, on the subject of Worcester, um, you came up. Uh, you came up in the in, in the Burge podcast, as you said, and uh, the issue of a stag do was was brought to you know brought to attention. Um, someone who shall remain nameless. Um, did inform me that there was a rather good story of, of you and your dancing exploits um, on a pole. Do, do, do you care to, to make a comment? <laughs> uh, I don't remember a great deal about that. There was a lap dancing 
we didn't go into a lap dancing place. There was a lap dancing bar, uh, pole at a bar, I seem to recall. Uh, I must have had a few drinks. And I think I was, I, funnily enough, we, I was actually with Burgess at the time. And I said to Burgess, along the lines, have a look at this. And I spun round. I said, it's dead easy. Um, and then Burge, unfortunately, thought he could follow in my footsteps. Um, only to come crashing to the ground. Now he put his back out <laughs> so, as, a, as a consequence of that, uh, which, which was uh, very, very satisfactory, actually. I don't think it'll come as a surprise to anybody to, to learn that you weren't in a lap dancing establishment, because frankly, if you were, there's nobody in the world that would let either you or Carl Davis, Carl David Burgess, <laughs> on the pole. So uh, it must have been, it must have been a pretty um, free and frisky pub you went to. Um, anyway, moving swiftly onwards, mm. um, Khaled Sawaz mentioned you in his podcast um, with regards to, to saying that you brought um, a, a sort of saying to the club when he came into the first team. And he said, and I quote, win or lose, we're on the booze. Now, that does sound like the sort of thing you would say. However, he suggests that you're only stuck by that for one year. Uh, and any comment? Do you remember bringing this in? The uh... <laughs> I do. No, no, absolutely, absolutely do. So I played in the first team, the back back apart, two thousand and five, two thousand and two thousand six. I remember, and I remember meeting Callum Parf actually, as very, very young lads um, in in those years. And uh, it was a saying that came up at Moston uh, when I played there, which was, regardless of how we perform, let's get out and enjoy ourselves, win or lose, let's have a booze. So I no, totally agree to to doing that. Um, and of course, in those years, uh, in the, my early years of Macclesfield, I would uh, do my utmost, even though I was married, and don't forget, I also had children at this point, uh, um, I would do my utmost to get out um, on a Saturday night and just shake it up a bit and show these young lads, you know, a few tricks of the trade, let's put it like that, in certain establishments and, and have, a re- have a really, really, really good time. But of course, as you get a little bit older, and as you should you know, get a little bit more mature, the opportunity to do those kind of things sort of decreases. So, um, you know, if, if the likes of Cal and others are still doing what I did when I was 35, going on 40, then, uh, you know, they've got, uh, got the, the right then, I think, to criticise. Very good. Well, another chap that you mentioned there, Tom Parfit, him and him and Cal, obviously in in and around that team. That you, you know, when you when you were playing, as you mentioned, um, he has asked me to 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 get your your take on on your philosophy of having five men on the boundary from the first ball of your spell. <laughs> oh, this is a great example of the bias I've had to endure over uh, over the course of the last fifteen years. What can I say? I mean, actually looking at the statistics on um, play cricket, which I did this morning before coming onto the call, I think 50% of my wickets are catches. Um, only 50 I thought it would be more actually, but it's only 50%. Um, I tend to bowl around about a third of my wickets, and the rest are either stumpings or LBWs. So um, I don't, I don't, I, 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 I could have put this. I, it really depends on the type of batsman that I'm bowling to. If you've got somebody who's got a tee off, then of course you're going to uh, you're going to deck out the you know your edge to, to cover that. Um, but normally I tend to restrict it to two people. I have somebody at catch up corner. I normally have somebody at deep, deep mid wicket, and the rest really on once to, to start with. And if it's turning, um, and if I'm bowling, I go through my my usual sort of display of different types of deliveries I, I don't need more than two on the boundary but obviously it depends on the sort of the, the 
depends on the on the type of game and it also depends on the situation uh, in the game so oh, although i know why they would say it they, they seem to think off spin bowling is just you toss it up and catch a ball out on the edge I, i'm sorry path there's a bit more to it than that. i know you don't want to me to admit that but that is the case very very good indeed and uh, now that the last uh, the last sort of um uh, anecdote that that's been suggested to me to mention um was, <laughs> was from one of our more recent uh, you know uh, members or you know new members at the club mr ian kenny um oh, right. who, who would uh, who would just like to know about your um your smoking wearing a latex glove <laughs> uh, i'm not sure this is appropriate for this for this um podcast but i think i came up as a, as a as a joke um with a sort of novel business idea last year the idea of um a particular flavor of Apologies for the break in transmission. Usual service will resume shortly. Lead into that what you wish. <laughs> oh, there we have it. Uh, Witters and his e-cigarettes. <laughs> Witters, we're just going to move on towards the end of the podcast now. You know, the quick fire questions. I've been giving people some trouble. I've got a feeling you might have a few quick answers for us. So uh, I'll do my best. Let's give it a whirl. So nickname general witters condor left or right-handed right-handed battle bowl bowl fielding position slip test or t20 t20 best cricketer you've played with guy called sukhvinder singh left arm spin bowler at crew incredibly talented individual wonderful batsman fastest bowler you've faced Again, a guy crew used to play with a guy called Phil Cottrell. He's the only person I know who, in those days, didn't used to wear helmets. Um, but whenever he bowled, everybody always went and asked for a helmet. He was absolutely rapid. Messiest in the dressing room. Uh, I'm going to go with Crossy. Longest in the shower. That is, without a shadow of a doubt, Tony Moores. And let me just elaborate just for a moment. Tony Moores, the legend that is unfortunately always falls victim to the never-ending shampoo in the hair trick and consequently therefore is always hours in the shower <laughs> first thing on your plate at teas something hot so sausage chicken nuggets something like that drink of choice uh in the summer it'd be stella or toi as long as someone else is paying correct uh not always <laughs> but preferably <laughs> takeaway of choice chinese dance move of choice this will be the mezzaluna shuffle mezzaluna just to elaborate very quickly mezzaluna is a wonderful night uh, venue in macclesville which i used to frequent in my early days playing at mac on uh, the mezzaluna shuffle something that i managed to um, perfect it basically involves getting hold of somebody from the opposite sex about one o'clock in the morning and uh, getting close and performing dance uh, manoeuvres, which can only be described as a little bit of bump and grind. Three dream dinner guests. Who are they? So I thought about this. So I think I would like to have uh, Bumble, would be one. I love listening to him, cricket commentator. And have you ever heard of Kerry O'Keefe? He's an Australian cricket commentator. He is the funniest guy I have ever listened to. You've never heard of him. 
go and look him up on YouTube. Brilliant. Those two, I think, would keep me entertained day and night. And then I think, uh, you know, when the when the sun goes down and you need somebody to help you keep the sort of the chill out, I think a bit of Cameron Diaz would go down a treat. Fantastic. Um, Witters, I must uh, ask you about some aims for, well, for this season and, and certainly for next season. Well, obviously, hoping to play some cricket this year. I've got, I've got, I've Get, I'm going to be 50 come January after that, which is a scary thought. Um, you know, it's a scary thought to be in the same decade as the likes of DC, but it's fastly on the uh, on the horizon. <laughs> so I'm not going to be able to last forever as much as I'd like to. Um, body simply is not going to be able to um, allow that. I've been threatening to, res- to retire for years, but somebody always, always, always talks me out of it. But I'm getting to the point. I can't imagine who that would be. <laughs> Lots of people, but I get to the point where I just can't do it. So I've probably got one full season in me left, and I think that will probably just have to be it. Very, very good indeed. Witters, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. Eye-opening, emotional, <laughs> and, and many other um, many other descriptive words. Um, any re- closing remarks from yourself? <laughs> Yes, there is just one small matter I'd like to address, actually, uh, which related to an umpiring decision in the third team um, last year. <laughs> but, uh, perspective um, on this. Um, so the background to this was the game was very sort of delicately balanced. Um, and I'd gone in and not been batting for, for, for a great deal. And uh, Mr. Mitch Morse had took up his sedentary position behind the stumps. Anyway, this uh, this bowler comes trundling in, um, bowls the ball, pitches about, I think, a foot outside the leg stump, rears up, I think it hits me on the shoulder before going through to, uh, to the keeper. Now, unfortunately, I think the bowler must have pulled a muscle or something because he manages his almighty scream. And... Uh, Mitch taking this for a, an appeal for LVD, LBW, designed to stick the finger up, and uh, the rest, the rest, the rest is his is history. Now I, I kid you there, I'm just Just quick shout out to the Boars family. Actually, I think they're all legends in their own right, uh, particularly Tony. I, I'm very envious of him being able to play with his sons in the way that he has. Um, I think the Boars family make a fantastic contribution to uh, to, to the club and. And long may that, uh, long may that continue. And I think one thing about Mac in particular, so in terms of closing remarks, there are some really great, decent, friendly, fun people to be around to play with. There's the likes of yourself, Matt. Obviously, DC. I played a lot of cricket with DC. Got on well with him over many, many years. A great fun. Barney's fantastic guy to guy to play with. There's so many I could I could mention, but I think that's what makes Mac CC very special. There's lots of good characters who enjoy playing the game and it's lots and lots and lots of fun. You, you wouldn't play otherwise. Very, very good indeed. And I, I fully echo all of the things you've said there, Witters. Um, so, as I say, absolute pleasure to have you on. Thanks very much for taking the time and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Yes, mate. Thanks very much. Take care. Cheers, Witters. Cheers, Paul.
Ghostface! 